0: Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I am your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. And I also serve as an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity today. We are continuing through the book of 1 Timothy this summer. As a way to encourage you during the summer months to understand what a healthy, church is and also the role of leaders in God's plan to actually exercise oversight in the church. And so we are finally jumping into chapter four. And so we've looked at God's plan for a healthy church being in chapter two, a praying church, an evangelistic church, a church where men take the leadership in praying and integrity, where women are godly examples, um, a church that's built on the the pillar and buttress of truth that has godly and qualified elders and deacons and in, in the last podcast we talked about how the end of chapter 3 with that creed that Christian hymn about the the glories of Christ serves as a hinge or as a transition between the the this Paul talking about qualified leaders jumping into chapter 4 when he's going to talk about false Teachers. And so let's begin in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. Paul starts this chapter with a discussion about the later times or the last days. And so there's a lot of talk about we're living in the last days and in the end times, when are the end times going to begin? Well, the question we have to ask is, okay, when did the end times actually begin? We are living in the last times. Uh, When Jesus ascended back up to heaven after his resurrection and the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, the last days began. So literally we've been living in the last days for the past 2,000 years. Now we're closer now than we were yesterday to the final day when Christ will come back in glory but you don't have to wonder if sometime you're living in the last days we are in the epoch of the last days and so when Paul talks about this this is a reality that's happening right now that there will be those who depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons now in second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 through 12 Paul says this The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, there will be a time when the lawless one comes, whoever that individual is, and there will be a heightened intensity in persecution, a heightened intensity in false teaching, a strong delusion over the world to believe the lies of Satan. Now, that is happening incrementally right now, but I do believe there will be a time in the future, we don't know when that is, when it will be ramped up, it will be accelerated, it will be very intense. And so I don't want you to be so concerned about when that day is going to happen that you don't focus on today. You are living in the now. You are living in a culture, in a world where false teachings, the the deceitful spirits of demons are influencing the church as well as culture at large. And so Satan is alive and well. He has been thrown down to the earth with great wrath to pursue God's people with fury like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so we are living in the last days where people will depart from the truth. Now that word depart, the Spirit expressly says and then later time some will depart. In Greek, it's, it's really the word apostatize to fall away, to abandon. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you having an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, this brings up a theological question that you're probably asking. What does it mean for someone to fall away from the faith? Does this mean that a genuine, authentic believer in Jesus Christ can lose his or her salvation? They can walk away from the faith. Uh, they They can lose their justification. They can fall out of God's good graces. They've lost their salvation by falling away. Is that what this is teaching? Is that what the Bible teaches? Now, we have to be honest with the language that is used in the Scripture about falling away. There are warnings, there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews alone about this danger of falling away. Paul states it here as a fact that some will depart from the faith. And so there's a reality that there are those who fall away from the faith. That reality is true. So we can't dispute whether somebody falls away from the faith or someone uh, buys into false teaching and, and someone uh, goes off the rails. That's not the issue. The question is, was that person truly saved in the first place? Were they authentically born again? So let me ask it this way. This is the way I often talk about it in, in, in our church here at Emanuel. So let me ask it this way. This may, this may help you understand it a little bit more clearly. Does a profession of faith necessarily guarantee that a person has possession of faith? What I mean by this is there are a lot of people that make a public profession of faith whether going forward at the altar call, whether raising their hand, signing a card, even being in the waters of baptism that may have publicly professed with their mouth that they are saved. And that's an important part of salvation is that public profession. But The public profession is not what saves you. Christ saves you by His grace alone. The Holy Spirit comes and causes you to be born again. You are regenerated. You are born again as a sovereign act of God whereby your old, dead, spiritually uh, rebellious nature is changed into a new creation and you are authentically converted through repentance and faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that internal working of God's grace to cause you to be born again and become a Christian is a sovereign work of God that is lasting whereby you are a new creation in Christ. And just because you make a public profession of faith doesn't necessarily mean that that inward transformation has happened with true conversion. So there are a lot of people walking around and in church history and and that you may know that at one time professed faith in Christ, were excited about Jesus, maybe even joined a church, signed a card, raised their hand, went forward at the altar, got baptized, maybe even taught a Sunday school class, but then later on down the road fell into false teaching, fell into a cult, abandoned the faith. So you see the reality of what happens. The Bible would say that that person was not truly saved. They had a profession of faith, but they did not have possession of faith. Now I think both of those are crucial. You need to have faith in Christ, and once Christ has saved you, then you make that public profession through the waters of baptism by immersion. John in 1 John would describe it this way. I think 1 John 2.19 describes this reality. 1 John 2.19, they... Went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You understand what John's saying there? There's a group of people, evidently, in the church that John's talking about that were part of things. They were part of the us. They were part of the visible church of God. But at one point, they went out. They left. They departed. They fell into false teaching. They fell into immorality. They walked away. And John says the reason they left and went out is because They were not truly of us. He said, if they would have continued. You see, a true believer in Jesus Christ perseveres to the end. It's called perseverance of the saints. A true believer can neither fully nor finally fall away from a state of grace, but will certainly persevere in that faith and to the end by the power of God's grace in their lives. Now, this does not mean that a genuine believer will never fall into grievous sins, will never fall into scandalous times of of disobedience, that does happen. A true believer in Jesus Christ can fall into grievous sins. They can ruin their testimony. They can bring temporal judgments on themselves. But God, through his fatherly hand of discipline, will bring a true believer back to repentance and faith, guaranteeing that they persevere to the end, that they continue. A lost person who makes a profession of faith a false profession a false convert if they continue in sin because they're not a true child of god god's under no obligation to discipline and bring them back because they're not a true son they're not a true child God will just let them go their own way and thus prove out that they were not saved in the first place. So when Paul is talking about some departing from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, this is not genuine believers who fully and finally fall away from the faith. This is false converts, those who make false professions of faith, those who were faking it, who prove out that they were not truly saved by falling into false teaching. And and Paul says they're deceitful spirits. They're teachings of demons. Now, there's some debate about what Paul means here. This can either mean they're actual demonic spirits who were operating through individuals, so individual false teachers who were actually influenced by demons, or it could mean that the individuals themselves were deceptive and deceiving people uh, through manipulative means. I think it can be either one. Either way you look at it, Satan himself is the diabolic force behind all false teaching. And I could sit here and spend another hour on this podcast, giving some examples of demonic teachings that we are confronted with today. But For the sake of time, I won't do that. But you can look at the evangelical landscape today and see a ton of demonic teaching, false teaching. That's why it's so important for Christians to be discerning, to sit under sound teaching, to so immerse yourselves in the word of God that when false teaching does come across your path, your antenna is so trained to sniff it out that you can see it coming a mile away. Unfortunately, there is demonic false teaching and demonic false teachers in the church today that are wolves in sheep's clothing that are preying upon the sheep. And let me just stop here. This, this brings in, into my heart a righteous anger. I get angry at false teachers who knowingly manipulate gullible people, especially when it comes to finances. Now, I'm thinking about the health, wealth, and prosperity word, faith, gospel. These televangelists, these internet preachers that are on top of the pyramid of network marketing who've figured out how to get rich by preying upon the desperation of poor people and sick people. If you are poor and you are sick, that is a condition that we as Christians need to be caring and need to be understanding and need to be loving and need to be supporting and need to be helping. It's part of the life of a local church. The, the role of deacons and elders is to reach out to those that are sick and hurting and those that are that are less fortunate. And so the, the church body comes together and helps meet the needs of those who have needs. But what ends up happening is these televangelists from afar who are not even involved in the life of that person, a, a person sees them on the internet, a person sees them on Christian broadcasting, not even... That televangelist doesn't even know their name, but supposedly has a prophetic word that they're going to get out of their situation, that God has a great plan for their life to give them material wealth to heal them. So send me your seed money. And then that person sends money and sends money and never gets any better. Maybe even gets sicker, or or the disease uh, continues to, to grow worse, or they they just make um, some bad decisions and they continue into the situation they are financially. enough no breakthrough seems to happen, and so that that person, that desperate person that wants their breakthrough, never gets it. And so they get even more dependent upon that prophetic teacher by sending their money and more money, and it's just a vicious cycle. And all the time, the false teacher is the one that's reaping the benefit. They're getting richer. They're getting richer. They're buying their million dollar jets. They're going all over the world and staying in fancy hotels. They're bilking people. And it makes me angry. And I think there is a room for righteous anger when false teachers take advantage of God's people. And so in verse two, you see the character of these false teachers. Paul describes their character. Three basic descriptions. Number one, they're insincere. They are um, hypocrites through the insincerity, the hypocrisy. Number two, of liars. They're liars. They're dishonest. They're not telling the truth. They're hypocritical liars. And number three, whose consciences have been seared. That's an interesting phraseology that Paul uses there, talking about the conscience being seared, uh, cauterized, uh, branded. Uh, Ephesians 4.19 says, They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There's really two ways... This word seared or branded or cauterized could be be used in regards to the conscience. Number one, when you cauterize a wound, you're you're deadening it to pain. And thus, if this is applied to the conscience, uh, they would have deadened or insensitive consciences. In other words, they would not be bothered in their conscience by their deceiving others By their falling away, by their false doctrine, their consciences have been so seared as with an iron that it does not even bother them. They're not even aware of it. They're so far gone, they're so hardened, they're so calloused that they don't even know that they are false teachers. They've they've been deadened to it. Number two, it could also mean branded. Back in that time, oftentimes slaves like you would brand cattle today, slaves were branded with a hot iron to show ownership. So if you were a slave in that ancient culture, you would be branded with a hot iron with the insignia of your owner to show that you belonged to that owner. And so the word can also mean ownership in the sense that they belong to Satan. They have the brand of the devil on their consciences in the sense that they are so caught up in false teaching that Satan has thus branded them or or Satan owns them. I think you can take it both ways. Regardless of how you take it, Satan is behind it. Satan has owned these false teachers, and they've gotten to the point where they're so far gone in their conscience that they are not even aware that they're leading people astray They are engulfed in false teaching. They're hypocrites, they're liars, and they're leading people astray. Now, in verse 3, we see two specific false teachings they espoused. And at first glance, we're like, what what in the world is this all about? Because this this is very contextual to the culture of that day, and and we may need to explain this a little bit. So verse 3, what were the false teachings? Well, verse 3, those who forbid marriage, number one, And number two, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with Thanksgiving. So the first teaching was they forbid marriage. Now there's a lot of debate about what what is actually the false teaching because Paul doesn't go into explicit detail as to what this false teaching is. So if you look at commentators, you look at scholars, it was probably some type of either Jewish mysticism or Greek mysticism where they believed that celibacy was a higher plane of spirituality than married life, okay? So it could just say, man, you know, if you want to be truly spiritual, if you want to be in God's good graces, if you want to reach this higher level of Christian victory and Christian existence, then don't get married, be celibate. And those that get married have forfeited the ability to have this higher plane of spirituality, So basically, everybody that's married is just second-class citizens in in God's kingdom. That could be one way of understanding it. Another was that it could be that um, because Ephesus was a town with the temple of Artemis there, and we talked about this, that there was temple prostitutes all over the place. It could be what they were saying is that Hey, you know what? In good conscience, you as a married person could actually go to visit a temple prostitute, have illicit sex with them, and commit adultery, and there'd be no consequences. We really don't know what it is, but it was some type of false teaching related to the abuse of God's design for marriage. And then abstinence from certain foods. If you eat this food... It's going to make you unholy. If you eat this particular food, you're not going to be a spiritual. And so it gets to be very legalistic to where you have these dietary restrictions of what you can and cannot eat. So they're imposing legalistic restrictions on food that's somehow going to corrupt you because of the nature of the food. Now, what did Jesus say about food? Mark 7, 14 through 19. This is Jesus. He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared, all foods clean. The issue is not the type of food that you eat that's going to somehow make you unclean. That's not the point. You have enough sin in your heart lurking there. That's what makes you sin, the sin in your heart. And so legalistic dietary rules about this food and that food, it doesn't matter. Colossians 2.16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then down in Colossians 2:21 and 23, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If you eat certain foods, it's not going to stop you from sinning. It's not going to cause you to be unclean. The issue is the heart. And so there are two specific false teachings here that Paul addressed that we're really not exactly sure what they were, but they have to do with marriage and food laws. But Paul gives, in verse 4, the reason why these things should be rejected. So Paul is going to say why these teachings are false. Verse 4 starts with, For, or because. For everything created by God is good. Romans fourteen fourteen, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For everything God created is good. Marriage is God's creation from the beginning. It is good for one man and one woman to enter into a covenant of marriage. God created food for our enjoyment to eat. It is good. That's reason number one. Reason number two, we should receive food with thanksgiving. For everything, God, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's to be received with thanksgiving. We bless God. We thank God for our food. We thank God for our marriages. I mean, I'm reminded of the study that I did last fall on Ecclesiastes. I don't have the scriptures in front of me, but just over and over again, the book of Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon says, eat, drink, And enjoy the wife of your youth. All throughout Ecclesiastes, it's God has blessed you with food. God has blessed you with drink. God has blessed you with the wife of your youth. Enjoy those as gracious blessings from the Lord. Receive those with thanksgiving. Enjoy the gifts God has given you in his holiness. The bottom line here is that these false teachers were somehow bringing in destructive legalism. To impose their rules for living upon Christians. So, legalism manifests itself in the life of the church today. I've been preaching through the book of Galatians, and the whole first half of the book of Galatians deals with legalism adding circumcision and dietary rules on top of the gospel. And then Paul shifts gears in chapter 5 and addresses license or laxness, that there were two. there's always two dangers facing the Christian church. Uh, legalism, adding man-made rules on top of the gospel a- as a way to get into God's good graces or to look down upon others that don't have those same um, values as you that aren't even biblical, that's legalism. Or license or laxness or licentiousness where you basically just throw out all moral um, morality and basically say, um, I love sinning. God loves forgiving. This is a great relationship. I'll just live however I want. It could be a combination of these two things that these false teachers were bringing. And so legalism is false teaching. License is false teaching. And so those two issues were going on in the book of Galatians, especially, but also Paul addresses these false teachers here in first Timothy as well. And so what's the application for us today? The application for us today is that we need to be aware that there are false teachers who are hypocritical, who are liars, who will try to fleece the flock as wolves and sheep's clothing, and we need to be aware of who they are and what they teach. And we need to be aware that there will be some who have professed faith in Christ who will, in fact, depart from the faith by end of this false teaching thus proving they were never saved in the first place. And so when you see this, a couple of things need to happen. Number one, you need to be very, very discerning in who you listen to, in who you watch, in who you read. I pray that if you're listening to this podcast, you are listening to your local pastor, that your pastor is the one who feeds your soul. You sit under his preaching and teaching and your primary diet of God's word and God's truth is through the systematic exposition of your local pastor who knows you, who loves you, your local elders or deacons or whoever it is that, 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 that um, are the spiritual leaders in your church. That that's the primary diet of where you get your spiritual nourishment. But I understand In our world today with podcasts, you're listening to this podcast, obviously, and I'm not your pastor if you're listening to this, so you're listening to this. There's podcasts, there's Facebook, there's YouTube, there's Instagram, uh, there's uh, direct TV, there's, there's cable, all the different outlets that you can listen to people. In today's day and age with the proliferation of social media everywhere, false teaching is all over the place. So you need to be very, very discerning in who you listen to. And you also need to be praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because invariably there will be somebody in your life, somebody in your church, somebody you know, and you could probably tell, tell accounts of this, that at one time professed faith in Christ, but now has departed from the faith. It's tragic. It's sad. You should pray for their repentance. You can never look into a heart of a person and know if they're lost or saved you go by the public profession of faith and they may not be saved in the first place and have walked away, either way you look at it, what do they need to do? They need to repent and believe. If they're a Christian, a true Christian, and they're in a period of disobedience and a period of falling away, a period of blacksliding, a period of, uh, of understanding false doctrine, you need to pray for their repentance because that's what they need to do. They need to repent and believe in Jesus. And God will use his fatherly discipline to bring them back. If they're not a true Christian, and they are falling away and engaged in all this type of stuff, they still need to repent and believe and become Christian. So either way you look at it, the one thing that you, you can't control their actions, you look at it, you observe it, you can pray for repentance pray for repentance. If they're a genuine Christian, God will bring them back to repentance. If they're not a Christian, if they are one of the elect, God will bring them to repentance and salvation. So you pray for those around you. And so you're, you're watchful on your own life, you're discerning on your own life, and then you're praying. And so you may have somebody in your life right now that you know of that's on that precipice, or maybe they, it looks like they've walked away. I would say this, don't ever lose hope On God's grace to reach down into the darkest of situations and bring them out. You may only be seeing a snapshot of their life. You're not looking at it from eternity. And so they may be in the darkest point of their life, and God may be just about to pull them out. So don't lose hope if you have a family member or a child or a grandchild or someone you love who is looks like they've departed from the faith, it looks like they've bought into false teaching, it looks like there's no hope. With the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's always hope. And so the gospel of Christ, his love, his compassion, his sovereign grace can reach down into the darkest, most extreme, most immoral, most false teaching situation. And because it's God's power, it's God's grace, he can do a miraculous work of rescuing that person out through salvation if they're not saved, and through discipline and repentance if they are saved, to bring them back to himself. So we just need to be aware of false teaching. Are you buying into false teaching? Is your life consumed with sound teaching? Are you filling your mind and your heart with things that are of good, sound, solid theology? Well, that's about as far as we're going to go today in First Timothy chapter 4. We will reconvene in the next section of chapter 4 on our next podcast. Um, I'm trying to keep these a little bit shorter, around maybe 30, 40 minutes, because I know um, sometimes if they get to be an hour, uh, sometimes you tune out and don't listen all the way through. But I do appreciate you listening to this all the way through. Um, I do count it a blessing to come in and record these for you. I have no idea who's listening to this all across the world. Um, I just knew there's a lot of people from Canada that are listening, as well as as people from my own church, people from all around the the states. And so, um, although I don't know you, I do love you. I do kind of generically pray for my listening audience, even though I don't know who you are, but I would sure love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by this podcast, um, if you've been encouraged, or if you have um, any type of question or comment or or something that you want more clarification on, uh, I would love to hear from you. You can go to seancole.net and find all other information there. You can go to the Understanding Christianity homepage. You can go to my Facebook page. Uh, you can go to my Twitter feed. It's SD Cole. Uh, there's, there's a lot of ways that you can get a hold of me. You can go on iTunes and give us a positive review and rating. We love to hear from you so that we can continue to encourage you in helping you to understand Christianity. That's why this podcast is called Understanding Christianity. We want to help you understand it uh, better Uh, No matter where you are in that process, if you're listening to this and you you don't even know anything about Christianity, to you've been a Christian for 50, 60 years, our goal at this podcast, our goal through this ministry is to help you to do a better job of understanding the truths of Christianity. Well, may God bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. And until next time, will you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus?